You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. And uh, we have another, what I would say, uh, baseball philosophy episode. Uh, we've got uh, Nika Oric. And I am so pleased to, to get some of your time, Anika. Welcome to the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and uh, I said baseball. Um, you, you've done a lot of great illustration and, and, and writing um, and, and, you know, more known for uh, an incredible book on uh, girls' women's uh, baseball league in the U.S., but... Um, prior get, to getting into to, to some of those aspects of uh, your creativity, the first question is, were you an artist when you were born? <laughs> yes, I came out with a little beret and a mustache. and <laughs> Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Sure. I yeah. know. It was kind of a, a, a real oddity for, you know, especially for 1980. <laughs> um, or an Anika, you know. too, you know. It's just- <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I will say I, I, I guess, you know, I don't have memories so far back, but according to, uh, the memories that I do have, and according to my parents, uh, the answer would be yes. I actually have, uh, I think it would be the first draw, my, according to my mom, the first drawing that I really ever made that, that looked like something. Um, and it was a drawing of my grandpa and then, and then followed by a drawing of my grandpa. And she explained that she sent it to them in a letter. And um, so then I, I got that. But she explained to them that I had told her it was grandpa going to work and grandma going to the grocery store. And, you know, I mean, now, objectively looking at it, I feel like I did an okay job. <laughs> But as long as I can remember, uh, absolutely. I mean, I don't remember not drawing um, or making stories. You know, I used to make books like um, I would illustrate my own little books about like Santa coming for Christmas or it was usually about holidays, like the leprechaun coming for St. Patrick's Day or the Easter Bunny coming for Easter. I don't know. I just remember doing that a lot. And then it just evolved into all different kinds of stories. But yeah, as far as I can remember, I always was drawing. Yeah, you, you probably focused on some of those magical days, right? When a lot of fun things happen and, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and try to... Yeah, I, um, I think I still do that. <laughs> I um, I wanted to, I was going to send you this note separately. It's not like absolutely vital, but um, I got your book and I got it... Um, because of the availability at the time, um, like on uh, Google books. Um, so it wasn't through an independent bookstore apologies, independent mm-hmm. bookstores, but, uh, and, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful, even on a small format, it's, it's super vibrant. Uh, it reads, uh, really well, but what, so here's the big thing. And I just want to open it up for you. So you did this uh, book and, and you referred to, uh, in, in the intro, and there was some comments regarding uh, a league of their own, right? So a kind of a popular culture I- idea, a movie about women in baseball. But my gosh, once you placed um, the, the reader amongst all these different things going on then, right? You have Negro Leagues, you have the, 
no explicit exclusion uh, for women to be in baseball. You have uh, World War II, post-World War II. You have um, labor issues, you know, women in the workforce, not in the workforce, baseball. And you have these female women baseball players in these incredible leagues, incredibly talented, with lipstick, skirts, rouge, how did this happen? And how do how do a lot of how do a lot of Americans not know about this? Yeah. Well, um, the I guess I'll just start with the most recent question of how did most Americans not know about it? And I think that that really goes back to everything that you just said about everything else that was going on. And when the league folded for a variety of reasons. Some of those reasons had to do with the fact that, uh, you know, the war had just fairly recently ended. They were, you know, five years outside the war and um, women had completely taken different roles that they had never taken before during the war. Um, You know, it was kind of all hands on deck and there was an experience and an empowerment there and they really proved themselves. And then there was just sort of this post-war um, I guess what I would call propagandized push uh, for women to return back to the traditional roles. And, um, and it, it largely worked, I guess, in a lot of ways, society, you know, society kind of <laughs> reverted, I guess. And, um, you know, so a lot of these women, when the league folded, they really, it was, it, it never picked up the momentum that gave it the national recognition that it certainly deserved or the growth potential it had. So there were, you know, the, it did grow and there were a lot more teams, but they were very centered in the Midwest around towns where there were factories that were, that were doing war production at the time during World War II um, as part of, you know, Americans being able to go experience leisure and entertainment after working long hours in these war production factories, they wouldn't have to, you know, there was gas rationing during the war, so they wouldn't have to um, travel, even they, they probably couldn't, there wasn't enough time and they didn't have to spend the money to get there or the gas rationing, using their gas to get someplace. And they could have that right there in their own hometown. And it also gave them kind of a, a sense of hometown pride and, and all of that. So, uh, you know, the, it, it did make some national publications. It made, you know, Life Magazine and different things like that. But but once the war ended and and the push for marketing, you know, after Wrigley, uh, after P.K. Wrigley, uh, who, you know, owner of the gum company and the Cubs and all of that, once he sold the league to local businessmen in the cities where the teams were, they didn't have that same marketing know-how and they didn't have that same reach. So, people just kind of got on with their lives. And then when the league folded, there wasn't this gigantic awareness already, Um, but there was an awareness in the areas where they had been, but, you know, for these women to go out into the world and be doing things and, and try to tell people that they had played professional baseball, they were just constantly met with, you know, you mean (laughs) the, the conversation was, you mean softball? No, I play baseball. You mean softball? No baseball. Like as if, you know, it cracks me up when I hear about these conversations that women actually still have today, amazingly enough, where it's like as if they're supposed to be like, oh, my gosh, you're right. I completely forgot what sport I play. Yeah, <laughs> like let me accommodate let, let me accommodate what I did to your ignorance. Of what I did. <laughs> yeah, it's just almost comical, like that they're even being corrected at all. But um, anyway, so that that just was so frequent. And then because of that pushback 
into the traditional roles, there was also a stigma attached where, you know, people who didn't know about the league and weren't aware of the level of kind of wholesomeness and femininity, you know, you're talking about the rouge and the lipstick and they played in skirts and all that. Um, you know, there was just the, the overall general idea that baseball was not only a man's game, but it was a masculine game. And so if women are going around saying I played professional baseball and they're, they're pushing to be believed, well, then it must also be assumed that they are, you know, a certain kind of woman, which was not acceptable at that time. Uh, so they really just stopped talking about it. So the women themselves were not, didn't feel free or didn't feel it was worthwhile to share that experience or talk about it anymore. And a lot of their own families didn't even know they played until, uh, you know, until the movie came out and they said, oh, I did that. <laughs> you did what? Um, so it just, you know, it just sort of fizzled out. And then when that story is not perpetuated and when it's not, you know, its importance is not later realized and talked about, um, it just disappears. And so when Penny Marshall learned that this had happened, she knew she had to tell the story and she did such a great job. It's a wonderful movie, but it's not the full truth. And some of it has been, you know, fudged a little for, for cinematic value and, and all of that. So, um, it did wonderful, tremendous things. It made the existence of the league known and it changed those women's lives forever. And it, and the ripple effect is huge because there are, uh, you know, young women who, are playing baseball now really maybe because of some of that um, and other reasons, but uh, yeah. So thankfully it was made, but yeah, there's more to the story. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and thank you. And everybody, we're talking about the incredible women of the all American girls professional baseball league. And that's actually the title of Anika's book, um, which um uh, just talking about the illustrations, uh, they, they have that kind of life and vitality and they're entertaining in and of, uh, of themselves. And uh, it's what I'm telling everybody is that it's a really engaging book to, to, to get into. Um, so uh, one of the things that I find curious and just speaking about, and, and thank you for that explanation about, you know, the experience of women and the history of the league, uh, after it ended, I find baseball to be uh, odd in its uh, way it hangs on to these uh, myths and legends and kind of misperceptions. One of them for me has always been like the Red Sox curse of Babe Ruth. <laughs> right. He's traded when the real reason is any fan with any knowledge of history will tell you is that it's a racist ass organization. It was so for decades. <laughs> and therefore, um, it was the last team to have a black player uh, on, on, on the team. But we end up with these kind of mystical ideas of why are we cursed or why do these things happen? It's because a lot of times we've excluded some of the best baseball players, be they women <laughs> or, or persons of color. It's a bizarre part of the game's history for me. Um, and uh, there's so many stories uh, mm -hmm. still buried back there, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on a really interesting point that, you know, it's, it's tough because some of this folklore and mythology, you know, we can say it's kind of what makes baseball fun. And there's these stories and these legends and these larger than life figures and all of that. But you, you are right when you say that at the root of a lot of this um, mythology is really just kind of, I don't know if it's self-preservation um, because of our love of baseball or, or what that is, but um, a lot of that or, or stories that are put out there, 
to sort of cover these things up, but it is sort of a, a self-perpetuated uh, way to make ourselves feel better about the real dark and ugly sides that exist. And you could argue that that is absolutely true for every part of American history. <laughs> Actually, yeah. you know, uh, baseball is just sort of a microcosm of that. And it makes sense because it is the, you know, it is the American pastime. So at the heart of it, that would make perfect sense. Yeah, I, 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 I think so. Baseball might be, you know, you find it in other areas, but baseball is, uh, the wonderful game of baseball holds a lot of the history of, you know, where it's played. So um, what about uh, what about another big one? So, I, uh, Anika, I, I invited you on to, to chat book, to chat uh, baseball, but also the big question with you as a creator and an artist, uh, you create art. What is art? Oh, gosh. You mean in in the larger scheme of things or in like my... What, what, yeah, like what, what you know... It is, it is a beautiful book, beautiful illustrations. It tells a story, tells history. Um, what, what is it? What's your creativity doing? What is art? Well, for me, the uh, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly maybe what necessarily the drive or inspiration or meaning is for everyone. I think it's very, it's very different, obviously. But for me, the the value in it is the ability to elicit and evoke emotion and to connect with people through that. And a lot of that is through story. So, so, but some people's art doesn't necessarily tell a story or doesn't tell an obvious story, but in a way it does on a, maybe a subconscious level. So there are artists whose art, you know, some people may or may not understand, like, you know, maybe a good example would be someone like Jackson Pollock, you know, someone could look at it and, and say, that's just a big fat mess on a, you know, whatever, but someone else could look at that and feel whatever emotion went into the direction of those spatters, the color choices, all of that. And that may, they may identify with that or find something in that, that they, they relate to. And so to me that, that is, you know, that is the value of it and that's the meaning of it. So it really is hard, I guess you could say to put a price on it. And that's always, I mean, that is always the, the conundrum for every artist and and every person who wants to own art or who doesn't want to own art. Um, what is the value? But, you know, we it, as artists, we have we are this sounds weird, but I, I think we are the art only in the sense that we are the the conduit for it. I mean, you I think you could safely ask just about any artist who isn't willing to declare themselves a genius, which <laughs> to me, I think that's total bullshit, to be honest, because any real artist feels like, or writer, you know, there are tons of writers who feel like the story already exists, even if it's, if it doesn't exist in history, even if it's fiction, it exists somewhere outside of themselves. And when it starts rolling, when it starts coming in and you start creating you know, I've always felt this way. And then I talk to other artists and writers who say they feel the exact same thing, which is just that it's essentially coming through you. And I, you can look at that however you want, whether you think of it as being, you know, spiritual or, or, or uh, scientific or physiological, whatever that is, you know, there are times where I draw like, um, like I draw a little character, I draw something and I, <laughs> I've looked at it and laughed or I get the giggles at it. And it's not because I think, oh, I'm so funny. It's because I, I look at that and I think of it as like, 
(laughs) it's got a life of its own and I just got to put it down on paper. And that sounds kind of funny to a lot of people, but I think every artist I talk to who, who identifies as an artist would agree that you have to be in a certain kind of headspace and in a certain kind of place for these things to like really start rolling through and you're the filter. So, you know, I, I like to talk about, this is a, a funny example and I just talked about it last night, but there's a video that you on YouTube now, but it's a clip from an old Walt Disney, um, the Walt Disney television show that was on like in the fifties and sixties, um, where four different artists from the Walt Disney studio go out to a field and they all set up their drawing boards and they paint the same tree. And they're looking at the same exact tree, but their paintings couldn't be more different. And they explain what they're seeing and why they're doing what they're doing and what the tree is, you know, what they're feeling about the tree and whatever. Um, and it just goes to show how individual the the filter is, but yet it's the same tree, you know? So I, as much as we want to say it is individual, I think it's tremendously individual, but the point is that it also is, is a way to connect with other people and, and use that connection to sort of tell stories, uh, raise awareness about things, um, just help people feel things, help people process things. I like to think of it as something that is helpful, I hope, (laughs) in the world, a good contribution. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's been a lot of themes uh, on the show as I've gone along that I, that I mentioned frequently about, you know, the process and healing and, you know, just kind of like a basic goodness in the, uh, you know, in creative activity and your comments about the art being there or maybe the story being there at times, you know, I think of like one of the examples historically of like Michelangelo with the statue of David that he thought he was only chipping away at the excess, like the statue was already in, I don't mm-hmm. know, made out of granite or whatever. So it was like, it already exists, it already exists in his head and he was chipping away excess, which of course is a very different vantage point of, you know, you know, just creating it. And so it's, it's kind of chipping away at the excess to get to the perfection or something. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, he got close to doing it if he didn't do it. (laughs) Oh God, no kidding. Especially when you look at those things and realize it's marble, it just blows my mind. I, and you know, there are a lot of artists who do the same thing um, with other mediums. I, for as much of a, a real piece of work as he was, um, as a human, I think Ernest Hemingway is a great example of someone who did that where he would just chip away, chip away, chip away until he had just the essential thing where he said the most with the least. And that is a whole different art form. What you don't put down versus what you do, what space you leave versus what space you fill. To me, that is, those are the people that just blow my mind are people who are completely economical with what they do and have a huge impact with that economy is, um, that's always very exciting to me. That's something I always aspire to when possible. Yeah, there's such an energy, I think, in, in, in that type of writing, particularly when it's done well to, you know, get down to the essence of things. Um, speaking of the essence of things, this is a very different question, Anika, and you said I could ask you any question, but this one <laughs> here has to do with San Francisco Giants, uh, your beloved Giants. Um, Prior to a prior to getting into another conceptual question, there's a big question right now: is wh- what place are the Giants going to be in the NL West at the end of the year? Is are they f- at first place at the end of the year? Can you just say Ooh. yes or no, 
or can you just tell us what's going to happen? Because you're you're into this stuff, and everybody on the outside is saying it still doesn't add up. It still doesn't add up, and they're still the best in the league. So what's what what's going to happen at the end of the year? San Francisco Giants going to be in first. Okay, well. That is a that that is a tough question, but I'm going to go ahead and say yes. And here's why: is that I've never, I don't want to jinx anything. I guess that's why I really hesitate to say yes. I will I give you the if you believe. Wait one second, Anika. This is baseball, and it's a jinx sport. So I will I will convey the right to you since it is a jinx sport to answer the question as you are most comfortable with. Okay, well, then I'll just do like the the knock on wood. I'm doing that right now that uh, I, you know, I do feel like that's possible. And and here's why is that, um, I mean, I've been a, a fan for, you know, as long as I can remember, particularly when I, uh, after graduating high school, and I got to move back to San Francisco and be close to it. I, and I moved there uh, the year the, the new ballpark was built and, you know, really got into it then. And I saw all the seasons where, you know, it was adding up, adding up, but you just kind of, uh, you know, like uh, 2000, was that 2002 against the Angels or three? Um, and then, you know, but 2010 for me is the big one. That's, and the same, you could say the same thing for 2012 and 2014, but 2010, really, I remember uh, everything was awry up until the all-star game and, and things started adding up and it was such a ragtag team. No one thought they could get to where it was. And, you know, and then there are other seasons where it's like this one and then things kind of fall apart, but I think they have the elements and, you know, I've seen it happen where they're just, no one thought it would happen and they gave all the same reasons that they're giving now or, or very similar reasons and um but the ingredients were there and it was exciting and hopeful and you know so i'd like to i like to stay hopeful i i also think that a lot of my hope comes from how the other teams are doing <laughs> not just the giants so you know kind of keeping an eye on on teams like the dodgers and san diego and all that and i think you know only half an eye uh, compared to how much i pay attention to what's going on with the giants but i do think that they they stand a decent chance in the nls i, I uh I, I do appreciate your important update in, in early August here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, think, I mean, you know. <laughs> I, 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 time, I, I, I thank you for your courage. But you know everybody's asking the question. So, um, uh, so uh, back to the conceptual question a little bit bigger about you. And this doesn't necessarily have to be as far as an artist, but just like as, as who you are and the influences. Who, who or what made you who you are? Oh gosh. Well, I, I think there are a lot of, a lot of people and figures involved in that one. Absolutely. But, um, 100% my family. Um, and I think a lot of that credit goes to my grandfather. Uh, we were very, very tight and, and my dad as well. And, uh, you know, I was an only child and I, I just adored my grandfather, first of all, but he was a storyteller and a writer himself, a cartoonist also, but the way that he looked at life, the way he dealt with life, um, just his overall philosophy um, was so uncomplicated. And uh, he was just a very easily, 
easily delighted person, you know, he had, there was so much about the way that he did everything that informed everyone around him before I was even born to the point where by the time it got to me, I just really got to reap the benefits of the family that had been built. And then, you know, God bless my grandma. She, she did all the hard stuff. So I think she probably made it very easy for him to be the way he was, but that just shows how much, you know, how, how much of a role she played in that. Um, so I, you know, and then I guess because, uh, the philosophy facilitated all the other things like art and music and storytelling. And, um, you know, I'm very, very, very lucky to have grown up in a family that valued those things. So I felt like it was a possibility for me to pursue them. I was never discouraged from that. Uh, I was never given unnecessary gold stars for things or anything like that, but I, I was encouraged to, you know, I was never discouraged from um, just doing the things that brought me joy because I had many examples of how doing that could also be successful. And, and those were, that was the definition of success. You know, we didn't have a ton of money. No one in our family did, but there was plenty enough to get by and there was never any stress around things like that. Um, and, you know, my grandfather was the first example of someone in our family having the opportunity to do exactly what he wanted. And he started it pretty late. Um, you know, he got his, basically his dream job at 41. And uh, my dad is a musician. He never made that his primary occupation, but um, he still plays music and he plays, he plays around um, where he lives today. And, um, you know, my mom never discouraged me from pursuing those things. And um, so I was very lucky that, you know, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy at all. It's really, really hard, but um, it's, it's definitely worth it. So for better or worse, I, I never had had it in me to be able to take a quote unquote real job, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, you know, what, one of the things in, 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 and I asked that question uh, of a lot of my guests and, um, you know, it, it, all the, the the folks around us and what happens at certain times make a you know make a big difference in our development as humans or or as uh, creators. Um, Anika, I wanted to ask a different question, uh, not to leave too far behind. You know what you wrote about in your book, and I just want to mention or, or just give a couple thoughts I had in general. Where I'm, I've all, I've been conf confused about you know baseball's handling of the, well here's the thing women uh you know they take you know the kids to uh to to games sometimes they don't want to go to games sometimes they're obsessive fans just like men sometimes they're really into baseball st statistics women play baseball they're huge fans enormous fans you know by uh, the millions, they played baseball. There's greater movement into the executive realm that's been happening over the last few years. Hitting coaches, mm -hmm. um, I've interviewed one, Rachel Balkovic, for the, the New York Yankees. So for me, there, there doesn't, it isn't a, like a lack of attention or a fandom when it, when it comes to women in, in baseball. It's 2021, and we've seen some of the changes that we're talking about uh, right now. Where you think? Where do you think baseball is going? And just recognizing women in whatever role when it comes to their contact, appreciation, and involvement with the game. 
Well, I certainly think it's moving in the right direction. I do think we need to, uh, of course, pay attention to and celebrate and give recognition to these things that are happening um, because the more young girls and women that are aware of it and that see it um, have the seed of possibility planted in their brains. And that's extremely important. Um, you know, there's a indescribable value in seeing and then believing, you know, the, seeing the possibility before you and knowing that it's possible. That's huge. Um, but I do think we need to be wary of taking those as uh, allowing ourselves to feel like, okay, the work is done or what are you talking about? There's a woman that, you know, there's an assistant general manager at the Yankees or what are you talking about? We have coaches. Um, because the ratio is obviously, you know, uh, it's so far skewed, but it's also so important to have more than just, you know, just the representation um, because that's how fundamental change really happens. When you get to the levels where actual decisions are made, um, not just decisions about what happens on the field or the team, but decisions on who gets funding, where that funding goes, how college programs are developed, how children's programs are developed, um, you know, where those resources go. We just saw uh, fairly recently NCAA tournaments where they showed the men's workout facility and the women's workout facility and how they had like a couple of hand weights, you know, and like, it was like laughably pathetic. So the people who are making those decisions, uh, you know, that's where that stuff comes in. And when you have women involved in those, those places, um, those decisions become easier. There are people who are there to, to make sure that the right decisions are made. Um, and then also importantly, that it's not just white women. And I think that is a really, uh, you know, it goes back to the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, they did not allow women of color into the league. And at the time, the logic behind that was one thing at a time. You know, we're already dealing, and also women of color did not fit into the American ideal of wholesome, good, feminine, beautiful, um, acceptable women. So if they were gonna uphold that image, that didn't fit for them. But then the other part of that is that, you know, they viewed it as it was already difficult enough to get uh, Americans behind this thing and then have it be successful. Um, and they were, they did. But, you know, in their minds, I think the, the explanation for that was one thing at a time. That was 1943. So like you said, we're in 2021 and it seems like that is still the mentality. And I've been brought on, I've actually had these conversations. I was just recently asked to host uh, a panel discussion during the All-Star break, which I actually declined. And I, I was told, this is great. We needed some diversity. Um, and it was a panel of like, I want to say at least seven or eight men and then myself, but we were all white. And I, I already felt, and there's, there's some other problems with that, of me being the only woman there and how that could potentially go really wrong. <laughs> you know, if I don't have, if there are another, if there are not other women's voices there to sort of, you know, quote unquote, back me up. If, if we start getting into a certain subject area um, where things become sensitive, then, then that could be um, really bad for me or even potentially unsafe. But then also, you know, that is, that doesn't paint the whole picture of diversity. 
So we do have, I mean, it's so awesome that we have the presence of women right now in major league baseball and in other areas. Um, but we just also have to keep remembering and keep pushing for the fact that women don't complete the picture of diversity. Uh, you know, white women don't complete the picture of diversity. So the more voices and, uh, presence of, of all different women that we can have in there and men as well of, you know, just diversity in general, um, the better decisions will be made, the better allocation of funding, you know, the more inclusive and the more representative it will be of our country as a whole. So if, if it is our national pastime, then that should be reflected. So I, I'm hopeful for that. I think that we have a lot of good things in place. I think the best things that are happening for women in baseball are actually happening as I think a lot of things do at the grassroots level. There are people working very, very hard to see that that happens and they're working with their own fundraising, their own funding, their own blood, sweat, and tears without, you know, with very minimal help from major league baseball. Um, I think they're finally getting some of the attention and momentum that they need and they deserve, but then what happens from here on out is going to be, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be challenging for them. And I hope that they get the resources they deserve without having it sort of uh, plucked. <laughs> you know, I think Major League Baseball is starting to recognize some of these things. And I really, really hope that they don't just step in and say, okay, great, thanks. We got it from here and take all that hard work away from them. I hope that they know where to put those resources to make sure that it happens the right way, because these are the people that have the knowledge and the know-how to actually make it happen. Like organizations like Baseball for All, uh, the International Women's Baseball Center. Um, there are inner city organizations. I think there's one based in Boston called BASE um, that works with inner city youth and underprivileged youth, um, giving them accessibility to, to sports and different things. So, yeah, I'm hopeful for those organizations for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I really appreciate your comments. And, you know, I know it's kind of like to give, you know, the question is, has, you know, were you looking at an overarching, you know, kind of way of looking at things but i really appreciate um what what you have to say and I, I look at you know kind of uh the kind of like the flux of history and the and the flux of of baseball history where you do see these moments where there's this kind of uh change you know if the game feels different um it's it's changing and uh you know baseball has always been uh, my sport amongst the sports but i've also had like a very frustrating relationship with it in the sense of, you know, being critical of, of its histories yet loving, you know, kind of what, uh, what it can be. Do, I know with them um, recently, the, the game, uh, baseball, major league baseball is, you know, recognized more the contributions in the history of, um, Negro leagues baseball. And I found that, you know, that's kind of a, a, a greater and in, in growing trend. When I was younger, I happened upon a, a book in a library, you know, I mean, I think I found out about the Negro leagues uh, by accident. And I think, you know, somebody picked up your book, you know, they're going to find out about the league, uh, the women's, the girls, league, you know, you know, by accident. And I think part of it is like, it shouldn't be by accident. It should be a little bit more, you know, this is baseball <laughs> and this is part of, part of the story. So I hope it becomes more, um, in, in, inclusive uh, in in the celebrations. Um, moving from that, I do have the big question, and I do have to ask you, Anika, before uh, I let you go. Um, and the big question is why 
is there something rather than nothing? <laughs> I really like the, uh, the, the philosophical aspect of this because, you know, art and baseball are two very philosophical things. So why is there something rather than nothing? You know, I, also I, asked, I, I, I also asked the question a different way, too, Anika, just so you know it, because I've asked it uh, or I've hinted at it for baseball folks a, a different way. Um, one of the things I've discussed is, you know, baseball being a game of whether game baseball is a game of something or nothing. Right. Um, people like there's nothing happening on the field and there's not too many events right so it's like people are standing around and i've always seen it uh, for quite a long time as a like a you know is something happened or, or is there nothing happened so you could also look at the game of baseball is this is is something happened or nothing happening <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good metaphor actually and you know it's funny because i uh you know i'm sure you get this as a baseball fan from people who are not baseball fans are like oh my god it's so boring how can you stand on how do you i feel that way about golf i feel like it could not be more mind-numbingly boring but i don't know what's going on and i mean i've seen my dad stand and yell and clap at the tv when it doesn't look like anything's <laughs> happening so uh you know what's fun is knowing what is happening and sometimes the things that are happening are, is everything that you can't see, which I guess kind of goes back to the idea of art and the economy and so much of what is happening is what is not there. And that carries so much weight in, you know, artists like, uh, for example, Al Hirschfeld or where it's just that one swooping line and suddenly it's Barbara Streisand or, you know, uh, whatever it's supposed to be. So to me, I think when you're talking about baseball and art and a lot of aspects of life, the nothing is the something. Um, so I don't know that it's either or. I think it is. I think that the nothing is the best something. If that's an answer. <laughs> I love it. Well, it is. It is an answer. And it's a, a darn good one. Uh, Anika Hark, I wanted to ask you um, so, so you could let everybody know. Um, you know, I, I uh, really enjoy your illustrations um, that you post on uh, Instagram. Uh, we mentioned your book. How do how do folks uh, contact you, contact your work, see your work, you know, in whatever way you'd like to present it? Sure. Well, I appreciate the question. Um, I, You know, well, as far as the book, I'm sorry to say that I no longer have signed copies right now. And I'm, I just don't have, uh, I'm not home long enough or have the time. To, to order more and go through that. So I apologize, some people have asked. But uh, like you said, local independent bookstores is always the, the best route, but I appreciate any route people take to buy the book, of course. Um, it is available wherever books are sold. Uh, other stuff though, and you know, I as much as I absolutely love baseball, um, it is definitely only a, a fraction of what I do and what my interests are and, and what stories I tell. So. Um, if anyone is interested in the other things that I do, I think Instagram is definitely the best way uh, to see all of that. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Anika Draws. It's <laughs> a little confusing, but it's my first name, A-N-I-K-A-D-R-A-W-L-S. Um, and there is a story behind that, but I won't go into it. Uh, and my website is my first and last name.com, AnikaOrok.com. And I do have a contact link on there if someone has questions or they can, uh, you know, ask me a question on Instagram if they'd like. 
I will go ahead and put it out there that I am terrible at Facebook. I'm on Facebook, but uh, if you send me a message on Facebook, there's a really good chance I won't get it. Um, I'm on Twitter a little bit, same handle, Anika Draws. Uh, so yeah, any of those places, you're welcome to follow along and ask me questions and I'll do my best to answer them. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I, um, and, uh, I, and I think it would be great, you know, in the future that, to chat about more, cause I, I, you know, I do see, um, you know, the other work, uh, that you do and, um, really love your style and, uh, like, you know, seeing the different images and bouncing away from baseball and historical personages, I believe you had a, uh, uh, an illustration of I think Richard Pryor that I saw um, mm. in, in, in there and um, but uh, yeah I really uh, really love the art and thank you for letting folks know uh, where to find you I want to let you know um, when it does come to baseball uh, best of luck to the Giants um, <laughs> I, I, I live on the west coast now I'm in Oregon I'm close enough to the Giants and oh. Giants fans to say you know uh, you know, go Giants. Uh, <laughs> ish, go Giants. Ish. <laughs> you know, right? It's uh, I get an audience uh, around the world. So, um, but uh, thank you so much, uh, Anika. It's been a, a great pleasure to chat with you and for coming on something rather than nothing. And uh, and uh, you know, to, considering some of the great questions of creativity and uh, the game of baseball. Um, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you. Take care. You too. Thanks, Anika. Thank you. This is Something Rather Than Nothing 